Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. What does a post-COVID economy look like? We all know what the pre-COVID economy looked like, where the main feature was worker exploitation. In the new economy, we fully expect exploitation to remain the defining feature, but capital has some choices to make in the coming months. Will capital recycle the old but known pre-COVID pattern of exploitation, or have they devised a new and improved scheme? And what we've seen in all of 2020 is multiple different attempts to optimize capital in order to get people back to work. And now what we're moving into is returning back to normal, which would be pre-COVID time. I think that's what people are talking about. So we have all of these things like lifting mask mandates and everybody's going back to school and everybody's going back to, to work and everybody's going to go back to that same cycle. And the real question is, is whether or not we are already optimized or whether or not we're optimized to return back to the original cycle that we had. And when I say cycle, I mean things like your nine to five and your commuting traffic and weekend warriors doing paint jobs on the weekend. And, you know, essentially everybody works during the week and weekends off. And and really how to, how to talk about this in another context is people that work from home have the freedom to do what they want during the day most of the time to come and go as they please versus commuting and being locked into a building with fellow peers from nine to five. So the general idea is what does normal look like in the terms of capitalism? So before COVID hit, everybody worked nine to five, get in your car, you would drive to work, you would sit in an office building for eight, nine hours, and you'd get back in your car and drive home and you'd do it every day. The end of each day, you would be exhausted and you wouldn't do anything. So you would lump all of your rigorous activity into the two-day weekend and the cycle would repeat indefinitely. But with COVID and the entire working from home concept, for some sample of the population, not everybody got to work from home because there are still plenty of exploited workers that have to go physically to work to service consumerism. That's retail, even stuff like schools, nurses. You have to interact with people as part of your job so you can't work remotely. But for the subset of the population that can work remotely, there were certain efficiencies that were brought about into the consumerist cycle, like shopping that were actually slightly more efficient. The example you referenced was the weekend warrior. Typically, people would shoehorn all of their projects into a two-day weekend. You'd start Saturday morning, you'd go to your big box store, you'd buy some products, and you'd spend the next 40 hours working on them. If you got finished or not, you're still going to work on Monday. Now, during COVID, for the people that could work remotely, these projects were allowed to work regardless of whether you were actually on the clock because you could rearrange your schedule to some degree. You didn't have to drive. You could go take a lunch break, go to the store, get stuff. The store wasn't busy. Those are the second order effects that we're talking about relating to the new normal that capital has actually created to be more efficient because it better utilizes resources. You have fewer people going to a store on the weekend, so it's less busy. So there's better employee help. There's better product availability, stuff like that. But now that normal is returning and people have this idea that they want to return to nine to five, is capital going to allow it because it's actually less efficient? And you touched on some really important features here. The service industry is 70% of the economy. When we say service, we mean everything from the medical providers who are providing this service to your malls, your strip malls, your your big box stores, the people that are working on your vehicles, whatever happens to be the service. And a lot of these people can't work from home. And the optimization you were talking about was that during the daytime, there was a lot more foot traffic during the day than there was previously before COVID because individuals, like you said, could get their oil changed at 2 p.m. and then come back and work at home instead of needing to punch in and punch out and get there at 5 30 
So there's a lot more efficiencies involved there. And, and the other thing, too, is that we gain a lot of time back. Those that had to commute or didn't have to commute during rush hour gained time. And those efficiencies are real efficiencies because now if you have to be to work at 10, you know, if you're in retail because you have different shifted hours, then getting to work at 10 is a lot easier when the roads are half empty than before when the roads are still under rush hour conditions. So there's real benefits from this working from home. And I don't know if things like trucking or supply chain management or storefront management is ready for this. I know they're ready for it on a capital. They want the money, but I don't think they're ready for it in the management portion of it. So I'm very interested to see what's going to happen at, let's say, your big box hardware stores where lumber is going to be out pretty much all weekend. Or they're going to be burning through all their typically on-the-shelf stuff because everybody's going to come in on Saturday and Sunday to buy instead of it being on a Wednesday. So really simple example. Let's say I, generic Joe Schmo consumer, want to build a shed. I need lumber. I need screws. I need some plywood. I need to physically go to the store to buy these goods. But everybody else is going to have the same idea to go to the store and buy these raw materials to build a shed. Six months ago, you might have ordered them during the day and then you would go do a pickup and you'd get it like Thursday afternoon or something because you didn't have to go to work. You didn't have a meeting between a one hour block and you're like, oh, I'll just sneak this in. Now you can't do that because you're physically in the building. You have to work. So you're going to shift your purchasing to Saturday morning along with everybody else. And 15 people are going to go to the store to buy a shed, and there's only going to be enough raw material for seven people. So eight of you get hosed, you don't get to have your shed this weekend. What are you going to do? Well, you're not going to buy a shed. So you go home sad and you do nothing during the weekend. The other aspect to this is the large supply chain. So in order to actually physically distribute 15 sheds worth of raw materials, you need to line up the lumber trucks and they need to drive from point A to point B. In order for them to drive from point A to point B, you need to be able to predict when traffic's going to be. So let's say these trucks get stuck in traffic and they are an hour late. How does that affect, you know, their second run and their third run and their fourth run? Whereas six months ago, there was no traffic and you never had to deal with the repercussions of the truck getting stuck in traffic and having your next batch be late. To be quite honest and blunt about it we're talking about the hiccups and the benefits of the professional managerial class essentially the petite bourgeois who have the extra money to go out and do these things it's actually the economy is tailored to them in case you didn't know that the economy is tailored to a group of people who extract wealth no matter what so that's the the capitalist class but then the the economy the spending part of it is tailored to the pmc because they get the most amount of disposable income. It's really not tailored to the people that are the servants or the lower working class who go and they stand at the clothing store all day waiting for you to come in and buy khakis. It's the person that's coming in to buy the khakis that is tailored for. They're the ones that also benefit from working at home. And so collectively, they're the ones that have the most freed up time to go out and buy and purchase and improve the efficiencies throughout the, the day. What that means then for the worker is that you can expect shorter hours during the day and a shift in scheduling for you to work at nighttime. So the exploitation is going to be a little bit different and a lot more wonky coming up because now that the hours would have been distributed you know, throughout the entire day, all seven days a week, eight in the morning to eight o'clock at night, now you're going to see the spike of people coming in from five to eight again, which means it's overcrowded, busy, 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 but during the day is going to be basically nothing, right? Low, lowest staff you can do. And we're probably going to see, and this is my, my personal opinion, we're going to start seeing stores cut back on hours during the day. 
and we may actually see less employment soon coming out of this than if we would have just kept everybody working at home. So you made two really important points. The first is that the entire economic boom related to the post-COVID concept is predicated on not the poor working class, but the, the middle or the petite bourgeois or the PMC class spending money. Absolutely. They drive the economy in the sense that they spend in a consumer fashion the velocity of money increases because they're buying dumb shit like clothes that are absolutely non-essential. The second point is that the working class is going to bear the brunt of these changes. Their hours will change. There will be more stressful hours for less monetary compensation. Perhaps before you were working on the weekdays and you were servicing 100 people, but like you said in the example, there aren't going to be that many people going to stores on weekdays anymore because the PMC now has to work. They have to manage people at work in a physical building. So they're going to shift their shopping to the weekends. So you will see a decrease, we think, during the week. Before you may have served 100 people, but now you might only serve 50. But you're still making the same wage as the person that now has to work on the weekend that is now serving 150 people. Yep. This is an imbalance as well where some people that are working for the same store are going to have to do less work. And this will be completely arbitrary and capricious because that's how the people that divvy out the hours do it. And it will burden a larger portion of the working class than was previously burdened because resources while still being exploited, were generally evenly distributed. You might have 100 people go to a store on a given day, whereas now they're all going to be lumped into a two-day weekend shopping window. And the burden also is going to be on that pre-rush hour, afternoon traffic, gas station. Same thing with fast food. You're going to see these peaks again where it's lunchtime peak at noon instead of it being distributed between 11 and 1 or whatever. We're going to start seeing this happening back to what the problem with capitalism is, which is we try to time crunch everybody in the same box. And that time crunch is really inefficient because, again, we have traffic. We have uh, labor exploitation. We're not talking about the people in plants and factories who get who are working at nine to five and punching it up. We're talking about service people. We've been talking about dentists who and doctors who spend a lot of their time trying to fill up you know their day. It's going to be a lot different when people are going to have to work around their own schedules again. Oh, the poor doctors. There's also the issues with caring for your family and elders. And and we'll talk about this this Harvard Business Review article that came out that, that basically says you shouldn't let your employees pick you know when they want to work from home. It's so evil and so bad. But what it really comes down to is when you let your employees pick when they can work from home, you lose the ability to enforce your exploitation on them. And what the article finds is things like you know women want to stay home more to when they have kids. Well, yeah. Well, wow. And it's not because they want to raise their kids at home and not do work. It's because the daycare that's right around the corner is a lot easier to get to. And I'm not just saying women. I'm just also men, right? It's also preparing meals or taking care of what have you got to take care of throughout the day that Gary talked about. And really, this enables a whole group of people to take back work as we know it. It really scares the employers because now if you work from home, they don't have the ability to put the thumb right over you and watch you working and micromanage you. Now they have to trust you. And this is actually breeding anxiety amongst the managerial class because they're traditionally allowed to walk around and stare over your shoulder at you checking your email. Their literal job is to watch you. And now they don't have any reason to exist. Now, we've ranted a lot about the PMC class and, and the inefficiencies. There's also some other interesting things that may happen when everybody goes back to work. You may find out a bunch of people don't want to return. So the unintended consequence of allowing people to work at home and create some efficiencies, like dropping your kids off at a near daycare, was actually trained over the last 14 months by pretty much everybody in society. 
And it's quite possible that people have determined how to be more efficient and dual income households no longer need to actually be dual income because they've determined how to do it more efficiently. So you will have perhaps one less person returning to work because they don't need to have two incomes anymore because if one person can stay home or even if that one person has to go to work, it's actually cheaper and more efficient for the other to remain at home. The example is basically that if you had to pay for daycare and you had to pay for two vehicles and you had to pay for travel and you had to pay for dual insurances and you had to pay for gasoline and you had to pay for the wardrobes and the technology and all the things that come along with two incomes. And we're not talking about two high end or two low end incomes. We're talking about you know individuals whose one salary is great or good, good enough, and the second one's a booster. They may determine that, that all that workload and the stress in the family and whatever it is isn't needed. And this is primarily found within the service class of individuals who the secondary job, doesn't matter who the partner is, isn't necessarily what we're going to call the breadwinner. Because we hate to put terminology in here, but the fact is material conditions are normally one person makes more money than the other. And the person that's not making the greatest amount of money is generally then considered support. And this, this is culturally what it is. We're not saying we agree or don't agree with it. This is culturally what it is. If they're only making a minuscule amount more or the stress is there, guess what? They may decide to go back to work, which for the other workers in the job pools is great because now there's less competition for those jobs. And we're seeing this is actually a, a good example as to why people don't want to work for less than $15 an hour. And it, it's two reasons why under $15 an hour, even $15 an hour is bullshit, but under 15 you can't really live on it. So why go break your body and waste your body for it? And the second, the narrative within within some people, we're going to say the the more left-leaning politicians, has been $15 as the target. So so why would you want to break your body for that? No, and the choice is now it has to be made. Do I want to make $12 an hour and break my body and, and, and add stress to my family or prevent starting a family or prevent anything, really? Raising your dog, it doesn't matter. Painting your house. All the things that you're you're pushing off because you have to work, is it better to have a higher quality of life? And we we hope that the decision is made that the quality of life is, is more important. And I think you're seeing a lot of people are making the decision that I would rather have less money, but more free time, more freedom, more ability to do what I want than to be stuck in a physical building more than eight hours a day being exploited. Completely undesirable. And people have witnessed that firsthand and seen how horrible it is to actually go back to work. So there is some anxiety for people that have to go back to work. And it's manifesting and how can I figure out how not to go to work? And for some of these dual income households, the choice is pretty simple. I don't need to go back to work. There's another group of people that are also making this realization that perhaps work isn't the greatest, most awesome use of their time. And those are people that are nearing retirement that perhaps thought they were going to hang on for, ah, oh, if I can just stick it out for three more years, I'll get X, Y, and Z. But now they're close to retiring and they're like, well, fuck it. I don't want to go back to work. So bye. Yeah, I hate this shit. Fuck it. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to incur a slightly less great retirement, which, again, is only available to a small subset of the population anyway. So this is, again, partially the PMC class benefiting from this. But as that class retires, it opens up jobs for likely younger people to move up the pay scales. And that, in turn, creates additional jobs that need to be filled. So the net outcome of all of this is that there are going to be fewer people working, fewer people being exploited, but the number of jobs that capital will impose will roughly remain the same, which means there will be a surplus of jobs to be done by fewer people. And some of this will be sucked into the 
earlier concept of stores will reduce hours because people aren't going to buy plywood in the middle of the day anymore. But that's not the lump sum of all of this. This is really what the entire episode is about, which is how does this system adjust to normal? Because capital is benefiting from some of the efficiencies that were created as a result of remote everything during COVID that are suddenly being transitioned back to whatever normal was. But normal isn't beneficial to capital in some contexts. And this worker labor market adjustment is going to be painful for capital and hopefully good for the worker. As the market readjusts back to normal, what we're going to say, it's basically in a state of chaos. In a state of chaos is the only time that we can really get change from change management ideas, which means that we really need the workers to pull as hard as they can right now for the most benefits because capital is going to pull back. And the greatest outcome of all this is in the middle, you have the small business owners and they are getting hammered right now. They're getting fucked so hard, which is great because they tend to be the ones that fuck the workers the hardest. They're the ones that say, oh, I can't afford to give you a raise right now. There's just not enough money coming in while they go out and buy a new boat. And you have a lot of these scumbags out there, especially the neoliberals, they'll say things like, small business owners, they rule the world. They don't. They just, they basically exploit as much people as possible. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.